You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and guys... I honestly do not have the words to adequately describe to you just how excited I am to be recording our very first preview episode of this coming 2021 season. It has been a very long time coming, but it is finally here. And if you've been listening to the podcast all offseason, which I know most of you have, you know that I think we have a chance to do something special this season. Now, of course, like any team that wins it all, we're going to need Lady Luck on our side. That has to happen. But I think this is Kirby's best and most talented team yet during his time in Athens. All the things that have held us back from winning national titles that have caused us to fall oh so just agonizingly short are in a better position than they have ever been under Kirby Smart. Talking about offensive coordinator, talking about quarterback, talking about skill talent. So like all of you, I am losing my mind with anticipation right now. We're so close. It truly is one of those situations where we're just so close, but it's so far away. It seems further away than it did like three months ago, even though we're just days out right now. But while we are all trying to make it through these last few days before D-Day arrives, Let's dive into this Georgia-Clemson matchup one last time in about as thorough a way that I know how to do. So we'll do that here in just a second, I promise you. But first, I do want to take just a quick moment or two to remind you that this show, the Glory UGA Podcast, is brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall, your go-to place for all your Georgia gear and accessories needs. I know a lot of you have been waiting very impatiently for the new Nike Georgia shoes to drop, and that is happening Wednesday. I think Wednesday at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and Alumni Hall is going to get a shipment, and they've got a shipment right now, and they are going live on sale Wednesday morning, so you definitely want to visit Alumni Hall. You can do it in person in the Epsbridge Shopping Center here in Athens, or you can do it online. Hit them up bright and early tomorrow morning so you can get your pair of the new Nike Georgia Pegasus shoes. I think they're much better looking than they have been in years past this year. I might even get a pair. I got the first couple pairs when they first started doing this years ago. It was probably like six or seven years ago now. But there, there was a, a while there where I didn't love the designs. And I honestly didn't love the, the actual 
model of shoes that they were using. But these Pegasus shoes, man, they look good. They feel good. So um, get yours from Alumni Hall starting tomorrow before they sell out. And if you're still looking for your last second game day gear items before the season kicks off in just a couple of days, Alumni Hall is still your place to go. You can order online. They can ship it to you very quickly. The best customer service out there. A lot of, got a lot of great items from all the different brands out there. Whatever brand you want, they've got it, whether it's Nike, Peter Millar, Columbia, Cutter and Buck, Johnny O, Nike Golf, whatever it is, they've got you covered. They also give a 10% discount for veterans and all UGA students. Plus, they offer the Hall Pass Reward System where you can earn credit towards future purchases. So shop with them today in the Epsbury Shopping Center in Athens or online at alumnihall.com. I also want to make sure to remind you guys, we've got about 50 or so of you already signed up for our Pick'em League. You can find that information on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. It's pinned to the top of our Twitter account. Or you can just go to ESPN.com. We're doing this through ESPN because that's the easiest. Honestly, it's easiest for us. That's what we're most familiar with. I'm sure there's better sites out there, but we're more familiar with ESPN. So we'll go with ESPN. So you can uh, just go to ESPN.com, find their, just search for their college pick'em page. And then once you get there, search for the Glory UGA group. It's open to the public, no password. You need to just go ahead and jump in there. We have a lot of fun with that. It's a confidence pool league, which I think is just more interesting than just doing like straight up picking teams, picking games. So we have a lot of fun with that, a lot of fun with it last year. So make sure to get your picks in. I think they actually are doing the North Carolina Virginia Tech game on Friday. So you need to get signed up, join the league, get your picks in before like, I think that game kicks off at six o'clock Friday evening. So join us there. We have a lot of fun with that. And make sure you're following us on Instagram, the Glory UGA podcast on Instagram. We just did our second live session last night. Curtis actually joined me on this one. So that was a lot of fun. So you're missing out if you're not following us there yet. We're also gonna have a lot more content, some really cool stuff for you guys. Once the season gets here, we have some stuff for you guys from Charlotte for that Clemson game. So make sure you're following us there. But uh, all right, guys, enough of all that. Let's get into what you guys came here for. Let's talk Georgia Clemson. I've been searching, as, a, as the host of this podcast, been searching for the elusive, perfect preview show format for years, like how to do this the perfect way. And after trying a bunch of different ways, I'm not sure there is a perfect way to do it because... You just can't talk about every single thing about every single team. And that's kind of what I always want to do because we built this podcast with the idea in mind this is going to be the most in-depth breakdown of Georgia football, of upcoming games, of games that we've played that you'd find anywhere. This was a podcast that's designed for the most hardcore fans who want more than just kind of that surface level talk you get most other places. So we've been trying to go as in-depth these previews as we possibly could for years. And it it's tough to do because you only have an hour or so to record these episodes. It's tough to fit all that stuff in there. Uh, if we went as in-depth as I wanted to, it'd be like a three or four hour episode and no one wants that. Uh, I don't think I could sit here and record it for that long and I don't think you guys want to sit there and listen. I don't even know if you have time listening to that. So I've been trying to settle on something that I really like over the years. Again, I've tried a couple of different ways over the years, but the back half of last year, we settled on a 3-2-1 countdown format that we kind of incorporated at the tail end of our episodes, kind of like the conclusion of our preview episodes, but we decided we might just try it as like the full-on preview episode format. And I thought that went really well when we started to do that last year. So this year, we're going to build off of that idea and, and actually expand it. Um, I'm going to call this the countdown, where we're going to count down from five to one, and in the process, discuss many different aspects 
of the game in a unique way. So what am I talking about by countdown, counting down from five to one? What, what does that even mean? Well, let me explain real quick. So we're gonna count down five to one. I'm gonna give you, for each of these preview episodes, I'm gonna give you five players to know. That's Now, there's always more than five players to know from the opposing team. But I'm gonna give you five opposing players that I'm watching very closely, guys that you need to be aware of heading into this game. Then I'm gonna give you four stats that matter. And these aren't just random numbers I'm just gonna throw out there at you. These are what I think are insightful stats that really tell the story and set the stage for the game that coming week. Then I'm gonna give you three matchups to watch. Football guys, if you listen to this show for a while, you know this is clearly a game of matchups. It's not just about an accumulation of talent. Obviously talent helps, but it's about how that talent matches up with the talent on the other side. It is truly a game of matchups. If it was just about how much talent you accumulate, we would have won a national title in the past couple of years. Definitely, because we have that we are we have been that talented. But it's more than just that. So I'm gonna give you three key matchups to watch in each game. Then I'll give you two game plans. What my game plan would be for the Georgia offense and the Georgia defense. That's two game plans. And then finally we'll wrap it up with one key to the game. What is the one thing more than anything else? There's always multiple keys to the game, but what is the one key more than anything else, that will decide this game. So that's how we're doing this countdown. Five players to know, four stats that matter, three matchups to watch, two game plans, and one key to the game. So that's what we are doing today here on the pod. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to work well. But definitely, guys, please let me know. Let me know what you guys think. This podcast is for all of you, after all. So I'd love to hear what you guys think. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. You can also find us on Instagram at Glory UGA Podcast. Let us know. You can email us as well. Just let us know what you think because if it's a complete bomb and no one likes it, then we'll we'll rethink it again. But I think this is going to work out really well. So let's get right to it. Five players to know from the Clemson Tigers. I'm going to start at the top here with the most important position on the field, which of course is quarterback. You guys know the name. You might not be able to pronounce the name, but you know the name, DJ Uwe Ungalale. He is replacing all everything Trevor Lawrence, first pick in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence. And DJU, I'm just going to say DJU instead of Uwe Ungalale. I actually like saying Uwe Ungalale, but it's kind of a mouthful. So DJU is supposed to be, they're telling us, he's being billed as the next elite quarterback in that line of elite Clemson quarterbacks following Deshaun Watson, following Trevor Lawrence most recently. And I guess you can go all the way back to Taj Boyd, maybe. He wasn't as elite as Watson and Lawrence, but kind of really kicked off that Clemson run of really, really good quarterbacks. And DJU is supposed to be next in line. That's what they tell us. And guys, I know you probably don't want to hear this, but I just got to be honest with you. I'm buying it. I think he's that good. I know he's only played two games. I've watched both those games. I don't even know how many times now. I mean, I've lost count. He's the real deal. He's got a big arm, as big of an arm as I've seen. That's not necessarily the most important thing for a quarterback, but it doesn't hurt. But as big as arm as I've seen, he's a big physical dude, but also really athletic, moves well for a guy that size. He's also really smart with the football. Now, again, small sample size, only two games as a starter last year against Boston College and on the road in South Bend against Notre Dame, that big matchup in the regular season. But he had zero turnover-worthy plays according to Pro Football Focus. And of course, take Pro Football Focus with a grain of salt. Uh, there are some issues with, with the numbers they put out there. They're not really transparent with how they grade things, but still, according to their numbers, zero turnover-worthy plays. And honestly, if you watched him play, you, you kind of buy that in those two games. There weren't really any balls that he put in a bad position. He's not, I don't want to say he's inaccurate. 
I don't want to say he has accuracy issues, but there were times where he, it wasn't like the ball was was like completely massively overthrown or underthrown or something like that, but you know, he would put the ball on the wrong shoulder, things like that. So I, I think if you're trying to find maybe a hole in his game, I don't think he was as accurate as he could have been. We'll see if that was just the fact that you're playing a good team like Notre Dame, uh, nerves, that kind of thing, just not being in a rhythm, not having the reps, all of that can certainly played into it. But there were some throws that he missed in that game, in both those games, honestly. But I do think DJU is going to be a big-time player for them. I think he's going to be everything that, that Clemson has billed him to be and all the mainstream media is billing him to be. I, I think they got this one right. But saying that, I also don't think he's going to be Trevor Lawrence right off the bat, week one. I just don't. I think he's going to be very good. We need to respect him. He is good. But guys, Trevor Lawrence was truly something to behold the past couple years. He's the only quarterback in pro football focus history that grayed out with a 90 plus overall grade as a freshman, a sophomore, and a junior. The only one in PFF history, okay? So yes, I think DJU is going to be very, very good. Like I said on the Scott and the Enemy episode that we did for Clemson a couple months ago. But I also don't think he's going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence, at least not in week one. I think both things can be true. DJU can be really good, but he doesn't necessarily have to be as good as Trevor Lawrence. I think that's the case. And this is an offense, and, that, and that's okay. He's still going to be really good. But, but if you look at this offense, it's a Clemson offense that's been built on the back of skill position players. This offense has been built from the outside in, from like the skill players in to the offensive line. And I question where they have those kind of guys this year. They have some really good players. EJ Williams is set to break out. I think he's going to be a really good receiver for them. Justin Ross has done some really good things. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, we'll see how healthy he is. And DJU is going to be really good, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. They also don't have Travis Etienne this year. Running back is a question mark right now. We'll get to that later as well. So I'm, I'm just curious how this offense is going to operate. Is it going to operate at the same level of efficiency and explosiveness that it has in the past without some of those players? And if you look at DJU compared to JT Daniels, like I think, honestly, I, I'll be real with you. We love JT. I think Uwe Ungalale has a higher long-term ceiling than JT Daniels. Like NFL future, I think he has a higher ceiling. I, I, I'm okay saying that. I, I, we, we can be honest here. But that doesn't mean he's going to be the better quarterback on Saturday in Charlotte. Now, again, small sample size for both players. I don't, I would caution against like drawing massive conclusions from this, but here are some numbers, guys. And I laid this out with the Clemson Scout and the Enemy episode earlier in the in the offseason. But JT Daniels had he graded out better than DJU almost across the board when it comes to drop back grade, drop back grade in a clean pocket, um, passing accuracy, 10 plus yards down the field, big time throw rate, average depth of target. And actually, most of those he was significantly higher in his grade than DJU was. DJU uh, had a better grade under pressure and had a better grade with turnover-worthy plays. He had zero turnover-worthy plays according to Pro Football Focus, only played two games, while JT, 4.4% of his passes were turnover-worthy, okay? So that those are the only two spots that he was superior in his numbers than JT. JT was better everywhere else on the, on the, on the field. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't know how much that means. Again, small sample size for both these guys. They will not line up against each other. DJ and JT will not be on the field at the same time. It's not going to happen. But if you're talking about okay, well, DJ's just this stud and JT, well, we have questions. I I think it's fair to have some questions about JT coming this year, but I, if there, if you have questions about JT, I think you also have to have questions about DJU as well. But at the end of the day, he is a really, really good player. I just don't think he's going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence right out the gate this year. 
He has less experience than Lawrence. Obviously, he might be as physically talented, but it's just hard to expect that right out the gate in his, the third start of his career. But a really good player, and obviously he's going to be a big part of the, what they do offensively, a big part of their game plan. That is clear. Now, the second guy to look at here is Miles Murphy. That's a, that's the a second player to know on this Clemson roster. Now, Brian Brissett gets a lot of the love as an interior defensive lineman, and he is really good, guys. He's, he's really athletic. He's explosive there as a pass rusher. He really fits that defense or aggressive style of play. But Miles Murphy, man, uh, he, I, in my opinion, I think he's the best player on that defensive line. And that defensive line is really good. It's stocked full of former four and five stars, just like ours is. But I think Murphy's the best player on that D-line. He is an edge player. Uh, he was a solid pass rusher last year. Maybe he, like, he really wasn't as good as the perception of what he is as a pass rusher last year, but he, he has the potential to be really good as a pass rusher. He's athletic, uh, explosive, uses his hands well, all those things. But he was shockingly, surprisingly good against the run last year as a true freshman. I mean, he was a flat-out beast. He had a 92.5 overall run grade, only a 67 pass grade. So he wasn't as effective a pass rusher as people kind of make him out to be. But again, I think he has the potential to be that kind of guy. I've talked all offseason about how how concerned I am about whoever starts at left tackle going up against him. I feel better if it's going to be Jamari Salyer, which I think it's going to be. But if it's Roger Jones, if it's Xavier Trust, guys who just really haven't played much at all, especially against a guy in the caliber of Miles Murphy, that is a matchup problem for us. And that concerns me. I do feel better with Jamari out there, not because he's like a true prototype left tackle. He's not. He's he's a better fit as a guard, but he has the experience there. And that in this situation, it's a guy like that. And also against a Clemson defense that really likes to blitz. We'll talk more about that later on. It's really important to have a guy at left tackle that you trust to not blow assignments, to pick those things up. So Miles Murphy, gotta know that name. Watch for him every single defensive snap. That guy is a playmaker on the defensive line. The next player to know on this Clemson roster that I alluded to a little bit earlier is wide receiver Justin Ross. He is very, very good. A healthy Justin Ross is very, very good. A healthy Justin Ross is a difference maker out wide. And let me tell you why. Let's listen, listen to some of these numbers. He was the leading receiver for Clemson in their 2018 championship season as a true freshman with 1,000 yards receiving, averaging over 20 yards a catch that season. Now, he was second on their team in receiving in 2019 with 865 yards, and he was down to 13.1 yards a catch. So it wasn't as prolific of a sophomore year. I want to call it a sophomore slump. He just wasn't as dynamic in 2019. And as a receiver, he's a lot like George Pickens. He's really not the most explosive wide receiver. I mean, he's got plenty of, of ability to, to stretch the field vertically, and it's not like he can't do it, but he's not like a burner by trade. But like George, he kind of has that just innate ability to make those contested 50-50 catches, great body control, really strong hands, and is a proven vertical threat for them because of those skills. But the question remains, guys, even if Justin Ross plays, and he's obviously Justin Ross is going to play. It's not an if now. He's going to play. What version of him are we going to see? Now, he was supposed to get cleared for full contact in early June. That did not happen. It was almost two months late. He did not get cleared for full contact until right before the start of fall camp. So what does that tell me? That tells me that there was some debate as to whether or not he should be cleared. And that was kind of the scuttlebutt behind the scenes there is that there was some disagreement there and there was some concern. It wasn't as clear cut as Dabo and the coaching staff were kind of making it out to be coming out of spring practice. But he is cleared and he's ready to play. But 
What does that mean? Cleared to play doesn't necessarily mean 100%. He hasn't taken those kind of hits in a game. Uh, how confident is he going to be? How much rust is he going to have? All those things remain to be seen. Now, if he's 100% healthy and he's back to old Justin Ross, then he's a playmaker. And that's going to be a problem for us. He's that kind of player. He's that good. But you just don't know what version of Justin Ross we're going to see. Now, there was talk about him playing a lot in the slot early in fall camp. And now what I'm hearing, kind of reading some of the Clemson practice reports, you got more EJ Williams there in the slot. And Justin Ross is sliding more outside. Regardless of where they start the game, Clemson moves the receivers around. I'm sure he'll be in the slot plenty of times, especially when you got a guy like Latavius Brini out there who hasn't really, really been tested by an elite receiver out there in coverage and space. So I imagine there'll be some moving around, some mixing and matching with the receivers and where they play those guys to try to get the most favorable matchups they possibly can. But Justin Ross is a guy, defensively, we have to identify where he is on every single snap. All right, the next player to know in this Clemson roster is a guy that not really enough people are talking about. When you talk about this Clemson defense, you're, you hear a lot of talk about Miles Murphy. You hear some talk about Brian Brzee. You hear some talk about Xavier Thomas as a former five-star recruit who's had a rough year last year dealing with COVID. But the one guy that I'm looking at that I think actually could potentially long-term end up being the best player on this Clemson defense. Now, he's not there yet, but I think he has that kind of potential. I'd say he's at least like a top three talent on this Clemson defense right now. And that's a linebacker named Trenton Simpson. Those of you who follow recruiting as closely as I do, I know a lot of you out there do, you probably remember that name. We recruit this guy pretty heavily. And on this show, I was very open about my desire to land Trenton Simpson. I thought he was a star in the making coming out of high school, out of Mallory Creek, actually, in Charlotte, which is actually the same exact high school that Jordan Davis went to a couple years back. So uh, that's an area that we have recruited. We've had a lot of success there recruiting players in North Carolina, and we went after him hard. We ultimately did not land him, obviously. He actually committed to Auburn, then decommitted from Auburn, ends up at Clemson. And this guy, man, he was a true freshman last year, started a couple games with him about halfway through the season, towards the end of the season, and he really, really started to come on. He's a former top 25 guy overall, 6'3", 225, very much a hybrid type player. And he, he he's built as an outside linebacker, but he's really kind of like a bigger star. Like that's really kind of what he is. And Clemson, Brent Venables has been toying around the past couple years with, with the defense that Iowa State has been employing for a couple years now to great effect. Like Iowa State said this resurgence under Matt Campbell. A big part of that is the defensive scheme they run. It's what I kind of call an inverted cover two defense. People call it a three, three, five, but it's more complex than that. Honestly, I love it. I wish we would run it. I, I truly, I, I'm fascinated by this defense. I spent a lot of time studying it in the off season. I was going to do one of those um, scheme team episodes on it, but we don't really run a ton of it. So I didn't think you guys would be as interested, but I'm fascinated by this defense. It's actually my favorite defensive scheme in college ball right now. I absolutely love it. And they've been toying around with it against some of these spread teams that they play and they've had some success with it. And when they are in that that scheme, in that 3-3-5 look, Trenton Simpson, yeah, he plays technically outside linebacker, but really outside linebackers in that scheme are the hybrid star-ish type players, guys that are kind of like the, our star, more or less. Maybe a little bit bigger than that, but they kind of fit that bill where they can insert against the run, they can, they can fill run lanes, but they also can play in space and cover guys as well. And Trenton Simpson fits that to a T. He's big enough to fit against the run, but he's also athletic enough to play in space, cover not just tight ends. He can cover receivers too as well. Now, maybe not as good as, a, as well as a cornerback, but he can cover some guys. He's competent out there. He's also got very good blitz potential 
coming off the edge there. And I think he was really just scratching the surface last year. You just saw the raw potential. Didn't really know exactly what he was doing. But I imagine this year he's going to have it more figured out coming into year two with a full with a full offseason, spring practice under his belt. He's a guy to really watch out for that just not enough people are talking about on this Clemson defense. I mean it, guys. I think he might actually, I know Miles Murphy's fantastic. I know Brian Brissy's fantastic. He might actually end up being the best player on that defense when it's all said and done. I mean, he's got a ways to go. He's not there yet, at least what we saw last year. But he's got that kind of ceiling. He's really that good. And they're going to do a lot. He allows them to do a lot of different things schematically. So we got to be aware of him and really cannot allow him to dictate what we're doing offensively. And the final guy to talk about here is a guy that has not played one single snap at the college level. Brand new guy, true freshman, Will Shipley. He's a running back. He's a former five-star coming out of, out of high school this past year, number 32 overall. So a fringe five-star, but a really good player. I, I when we, we actually recruited him a little bit as well. We recruit all these guys that Clemson ends up getting usually. And uh, we recruited him. He ends up going, I think he was also from North Carolina, if I remember correctly. But he ends up going to Clemson. He's the number two running back, 5'11", 200 pounds, shifty, fast. And he's really good as a wide receiver out of the backfield. If you go back and watch his high school tape, and the reason I bring up Will Shipley is because the other guys that have on the roster are just guys. Lynn J. Dixon, just a guy. He's not a star, not a stud at all. Will Shipley has star potential. Now, will he be there in his very first collegiate game against a defense the caliber of ours? Uh, that might be a little bit of a stretch. But I really, even if he doesn't get the first drive out there, the first snap at running back, he's going to play. And I think he's going to play a lot. I don't, I don't have any inside information there. I just... Looking at what they have at running back and how good I think Will Shipley is, how high I think of him, he's going to play a lot. He's going to be a factor in this game. And another reason I'm mentioning him here is the skill set, what he brings to the table. Travis Etienne last year, guys, did not have a great year running the football, but he had had a fantastic year as a receiver out of the backfield. He was number one among FBS running backs in receiving grade last year, 90.9, basically a 91 grade, guys, as a receiver. It was also the second most targeted running back in the FBS. Of those, 40, of those 58 targets for Etienne last year, 35 of them were behind line of scrimmage and 29 of them came on screens that he turned into 293 yards and 16 first downs. And I got to give credit where credit's due here. Those numbers come from pro football focus, okay? I didn't compile those numbers. That's pro football focus numbers. But I bring that up because I think Will Shipley is the player, the running back best equipped to fill in for Etienne in that role as a receiver out of the backfield, in that screen role, which we're going to talk about in a second, is a big, big, big part of what Clemson does offensively. So I expect Will Shipley to be a factor in this game, to not just play in this game, to actually get significant touches in this game. He might even, he's not going to get every single carry, but he might be, when it's all said and done, when the night's over, I, I actually I feel pretty confident saying he'll get more touches than any running back on that Clemson roster if I had to predict right now. So watch out for Will Shipley as well. So that's our five players to know. DJ Uwe Ungulale at quarterback, defensive end edge rusher Miles Murphy, wide receiver Justin Ross, linebacker Trenton Simpson, and running back Will Shipley. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Now let's move on to the next step here. Let's count it down. Let's go to four stats that matter. All right. Now I've talked about some of these. We've talked about a lot of this throughout the offseason. I'm kind of just putting it all together for you guys here today on this official preview episode. But let's talk about how aggressive Clemson plays defensively. We've talked about this a lot, but it bears repeating. Clemson blitzes about as much as anybody in America. They really do. They blitzed on 40% of their defensive snaps last year, according to Pro Football Focus, guys. 40%. That's good enough for 12th national last year. That number increased even more on third downs. On third downs last year, they blitzed 51% of the time. That went up to fourth most among college football teams last year. 51% of the time on third downs, they are bringing pressure. And not only are they heavy with their pressure, they're also very effective with their pressure. They had the fourth most quarterback pressures last year when blitzing. Those are big time numbers. That is what Clemson does defensively, okay? They are going to bring the heat. They're going to dial it up and we might hit them for a big play here and there. That is not going to discourage them. They're going to continue to bring the pressure because that's what this defense does. That is their philosophy. We've got to be ready for that. And I know, look, we. I, this is one of the things I'm actually excited. This is the first game of the season. We had more than just a week to prepare for all the things that Clemson does schematically and all the different kind of pressures that they bring. Now, I'm sure they'll have some different pressures that they haven't shown before. That's going to happen as well. We have a lot of time to prepare for them. They have time to prepare for us. It kind of goes both ways. But I'm excited that we've had time to kind of just sit there, sit down in the offseason and dissect all the things they do from that standpoint and to get our players, our offensive line, our quarterback, our receivers, our running backs, all on the same page. So they all play a role in that. Running backs have to have to pick up guys in, in, in pass protection. Our offensive line has to be able to pass guys off. They be able to identify. Quarterback has to be able to slide pressure. Receivers have to make their side adjustments when, when teams are blitzing based off coverages and all that. It all works together, Okay. So we've had time to hopefully become much better acquainted with that than we would otherwise if it was just a week to prepare for Clemson. So they blitz a lot. It's concerning to me, especially if, if we have some issues that left tackle. I don't know what that's going to look like. I hope it's Jamari. I just don't know. I think it's going to be, we'll just have to see on Saturday. But they're going to blitz, guys. They're going to bring that pressure, and we got to be ready for it. All right, the second stat that matters here, what I want to look at here in this second stat, it's, now this is not just one stat. It's kind of a combination. Negative plays that Clemson's defense creates versus explosive plays allowed. Okay, so if they're that aggressive, and they are, and they blitz that much, and even when they're not blitzing, they just are aggressive and attacking style defense. They want to get downhill in a hurry. And that creates a lot of negative plays. It works for them a lot of the times. But it also creates opportunities for their opponent to hit some explosive plays on them. They give up a lot of explosive plays. So let's look at this, all right? So, guys, these numbers are insane. These numbers are flat out insane. And I think it tells you exactly 
what kind of style of defense Clemson plays. And if you watch them play on defense, like you're like, yeah, I see that. But these numbers are just mind-boggling, man. They're eye-opening. So Clemson has been top two, at least top two in tackles for loss in each of the last three seasons in college football. They've actually, it gets better, they finished number one in the country in tackles for loss in five of the last eight years after Brent Venable's first year. So basically, Brent Venable's came in his first year in 2012. It's kind of a transition year, but every year after that, since 2013, he has established his attacking style of defense. He's recruited that system, and they have been literally better than anyone in the country over that span of creating negative plays, tackles for loss. They've actually finished number one or number two in the country in tackles for loss in seven of the last eight years. That is insane, okay? That's insane. That's tackles for loss. What about sacks? The last seven years, they finished number one in the country in sacks three times. They've averaged finishing number two nationally in sacks over that same time span the last seven years. And the year before that, the eighth year, they were 12th. Oh my God, they were 12th. How terrible is that? This is what they do, guys. They create negative plays. They are aggressive. They attack. They create sacks, tackles for loss. That's what this defense is designed to do. It helps them a lot. But there's a flip side to that. When you are that aggressive, you open yourself up to explosive plays. So yeah, they've been great creating negative plays, but they also gave a hundred, they were 113th nationally last year in pass plays of 30 or more yards allowed. They were 89th nationally in passing plays of 20 or more yards allowed. They gave up 20 passing plays. I'm sorry, they have 34 passing plays of 20 or more yards last year. That's a lot, guys. And when they blitz, their coverage grade drops all the way to 58.2 according to Pro Football Focus. What that tells me is they don't have the personnel out there in the secondary to consistently hold up one-on-one in man coverage. They don't have those elite guys out there. I think Booth, I think Andrew Booth is one of those guys at cornerback for them. Outside of that, they just don't have them. They really just don't. And then let's look at the run plays. Now, they haven't given up as many explosive plays on the ground, but they've still given up far too many, far more than your typically elite program gives up. They were 54th nationally last year in 20-plus yard runs allowed. They were 64th nationally in 30-plus yard runs allowed. So to kind of give you some context there, guys, they allowed four times as many runs of 20-plus yards last year as we did. They also allowed three times as many runs of 30-plus yards last year as we did. Now, I know our defense is as good as it gets in the country. We defend the runs as well as anybody. But they're just not even close right now. They give up way too many explosive plays. Now, down to down, you don't have a ton of success because they are, they are going to create some negative plays. So it kind of, in some ways, it balances out. But to me, one explosive play defense, one explosive play offensively against their attacking style of defense can truly change the game, especially when you have two very evenly matched teams like this. Those explosive kind of plays can change the game. And Clemson gives up way too many of them. That's when their kind of aggressive attacking style of defense really backfires on them. Because it really is, guys. It's, a tr- it's truly an all or nothing mentality for them defensively. And it has worked for them. It, especially against like the lesser teams, the teams that are just more talented than they just bowl over those teams. They stifle them. But it can also work against them when they're playing better teams like Ohio State or Alabama or LSU. Even the games that, like, even the national titles they won when they beat Alabama, they give a ton of points to those teams because when you when they play those kind of teams that can generate those explosive plays that have equal or more talent, they give up those explosive plays with that attacking style of defense. What's worked for Clemson is they just can outscore those teams when they've won a lot of those games. But they couldn't outscore LSU. They couldn't outscore Ohio State last year. So 
just something to watch there. Yeah, be ready, guys. You're going to create some negative plays, but we're all going to have opportunities to hit some explosive plays of our own offensively. All right, the third stat that matter here, let's talk about the screen game. This is just a massive part of what Clemson does offensively. We've talked about this a little bit in the offseason. Let's talk about a little bit more here. So I'm going to give you some numbers. Clemson was top 10 nationally in screen percentage last year. Actually, if you take it out over the last three years combined, they've been number one in the power five in screen attempts. That's not just meaning screens to running backs. It can include screens to running backs. They use Etienne in that regard a lot last year, but also guys like Amari Rogers, they get their, their receivers, their tight ends involved in the screen game. They screen a ton, guys. About one-fourth of their plays last year, almost 25% of their plays last year, their pass plays were screens. That's how much they screen. Conversely, they were only 96 nationally in deep pass play percentage. Only 14% of their pass plays were defined as deep pass plays according to pro football focus. They don't really push the ball vertically down the field all that often. I'm not saying they won't do it, but that's not what they're designed to do by trade. A lot of the explosive plays they hit come off the screen game. So we've got to be ready for that. We want it's it's a fine line for us to walk in this game. We want to create pressure on DJ Uyunglele. You want to make him uncomfortable back there. You don't want him to just sit back there and have all day. But you also don't want to bring too many guys and be too aggressive in your blitz packages because they will screen you to death and that's where they will hit some big plays off you. They're very good at timing that up and kind of predicting when defenses are going to blitz. So if we're going to bring pressure, we need to break tendency. And it's hard to break tendency when it's the first game. Break tendency off of what we did last year. That's what we've got to do because they are very good at timing that up and knowing when you're going to bring pressure, predicting that and hitting you with some screen plays that go for big yardage. So you got to watch out for that. And then finally here, the four stat that matter deals with the Clemson run game. All right, let's talk about this for a minute here. I mentioned this early in the offseason as well, like, like pretty much everything we're talking about today. We're just kind of summing it all up here. But the Clemson run game, they had two games last year where they rushed for under 100 yards. That was against Notre Dame in the regular season and against Ohio State and the playoffs. What happened in both those games, guys? Yeah, that's right. You nailed it. They lost both those games. And you add to that, they're actually the three worst performances last year. Obviously, the two losses. Um, then I'm also going to throw in the game against BC where they won that game late. They barely hung on to beat Boston College at home in DJ Uyunglele's first start. They only rushed for 106 yards in that game. So barely over 100, but they broke the 100-yard marker. But against Notre Dame, they ran for 34 yards in the regular season. Against Ohio State in the playoff, they ran for 44 yards, okay? So in those... In those three games against BC, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, they rushed for a combined 244 yards and 3.1 yards per rush. They averaged five yards per rush in their other nine games. So if you can hold this Clemson run game down under 100 yards, you can beat them. That's what the stats tell me, okay? Now, I will throw this in there. DJ Uyungle apparently in the two games that he played, BC and Notre Dame, which I included in those three games, he apparently had an injured shoulder during that time, so he wasn't as much of a factor in the run game as Trevor Lawrence was. Trevor Lawrence was such an underrated aspect of their run game. So their offense did have a hard time running the football without the threat of a quarterback run when Uwe Ungle was in there. Now, he ran it a couple times, but he just wasn't a big part of their run game plan. So we saw the issues they had running the ball without a quarterback full throttle last year. So you got to wonder if Tyson Pumanchun, the guy who allegedly tore his Achilles a couple months ago like in spring practice and now is back ready to go. He's cleared for contact. That doesn't make any sense to me. 
tearing your Achilles is a brutal injury, guys. That can be like up to a year-long recovery. He's apparently back now. Like He must be the bionic man, dude. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. So maybe they're just saying that it's gamesmanship. I really don't know. But I mean, like, I, I have to wonder if he's really actually healthy. And if not, how much does that impact their willingness to run DJU against our big physical defense? Because if they don't run DJ as much as they ran Trevor Lawrence, then that is going to impact their overall run game because their offense is not built to run the football without the quarterback being involved in that game. That's honestly why they screen so much. They just aren't a traditionally dominant run defense or run offense. So that'd be very, very interesting to watch, guys. And we'll get that later on. I think that's the key to the game. Can we stop Clemson from rushing the football? All right, so let's move on here. Let's keep counting down. Let's go to three matchups to watch. I'm going to run through this really quickly because I don't know how much there is to talk about this. We kind of all know this. And this is just kind of the inverse here. The first matchup to watch, Georgia offensive line versus the Clemson defensive line. We all know how good the Clemson defensive line is. That's been well documented. They are very good guys. They're everything that people say they are. And there are some concerns on our offensive line. We have the talent on the offensive line. We've recruited as well as anyone in the country in the offensive line over the past couple of years. Sam Pittman did this a solid there before he went to Fayetteville. But we've, we're working in some new guys there. I, we're gonna, at the very least, going to be working in Tate Ratledge almost certainly as a starting guard there. Center Warren Erickson, even if he's ready to go, he's not played a ton himself, but it's probably going to be Cedric Van Pran right now, who hasn't really played any meaningful snaps in his career right now. And he's going to be going up against a very strong interior defensive line. Guys like Brian Brissy, Tyler Davis, him and Ratledge there. Those are new guys. I believe in them. They're very highly rated. They're going to be really good players, but are they ready to handle that kind of defensive line week one? That's a little bit of a concern for me. Left tackle. I've told you guys, I feel better if it's Jamari Salyer, but is it going to be Jamari? Or do we want to, if Tate Radledge is having trouble handling those guys on the interior, do you move Jamari inside and then you put Broderick Jones or Xavier Truss out at left tackle? But that's also concerning in its own right. Going against guys like, like Miles Murphy, maybe Trent Simpson coming off the edge blitzing. That's a concern. So that's something to watch there. We really need to be able to hold our own against that defensive line. We have the talent. Um, but I think it's fair to have some concerns there with a couple new faces and going against the defensive line, the caliber of that Clemson defensive front. And we need to be able to run the football, by the way. We'll talk about that a little bit later as well. The second matchup to watch here is the inverse. The Georgia defensive line versus the Clemson offensive line. Both these offensive lines are going to have their hands full with these defensive lines. However, I think our defensive line versus the Clemson offensive line is the biggest matchup problem in this game. I think this is the biggest mismatch of any of the matchups. I think our defensive line is going to flat out dominate the Clemson offensive line. Right now, they're having issues in figuring out who their center is going to be. Is it going to be Trotter? Is it going to be Bockhurst, who was a, a, a guard for them last year? Neither guy is big enough or strong enough to handle Jordan Davis one-on-one. They're simply not going to be able to. So there's already issues there. That Clemson offensive line is built differently than ours. They're smaller, quicker. Our defensive line is big, guys. And you know what? It's big guys that can also run. Jalen Carter can move. Devontae Wyatt can move. Even Jordan Davis, for a guy that big, can move. So to me, we're going to be able to control the trenches when we're on defense, Clemson's on offense. This is the biggest matchup advantage for us in this game. We need to dominate this matchup, and I believe that we will. And then the third matchup to watch here would be our Georgia tight ends and our running backs versus the Clemson linebackers and safeties. I've talked about Trenton Simpson. I do think Trenton Simpson is the real deal. He's the guy that can hold his own in coverage against any of our tight ends, any of our running backs. Absolutely. But the other guys, not so much. Balen Spector had a 50 coverage grade last year at Pro Football Focus. Skowski, he's a really good downhill fill linebacker. 
that really fits that system, he's a liability in coverage. Venables, if he's out there, liability in coverage. Landon Zanders, who plays who, who plays safety for them, he's a liability all around. Run game, pass game. He he's a guy that we really want to get our tight ends, our runbacks mashed up on because we're gonna have advantage almost any of those guys. Brock Bowers, even if it's Fitzpatrick, who's not known for that. James Cook, Darnell is not gonna play in this game, which is unfortunate because I thought we would really have a major matchup advantage there if we could scheme up ways to get him mashed up on Xanders. Nolan Turner is better than Xanders in the in the secondary as a coverage guy. He's not an elite cover guy though. He's a guy that doesn't really blow a lot of assignments. He's really experienced, played a lot of football. And their entire secondary is very experienced. But I think that we could potentially have some matchup advantages with our tight ends and our running backs out of the backfield. Guys like Kendall Milton, guys like James Cook, even Kenny McIntosh, get him involved. Uh, you guys know my, my take on Brock Bowers, how high I am on him. I hate that Darnell's probably not going to be able to play, but I still think we have enough players there that we can create some matchup advantages on the Clemson linebackers and safeties. And I trust Todd Munkin to scheme that up. We saw, do, we saw him do it all last year, guys. We saw him do it all last year. Thinking about the long touchdown pass to James Cook, we got him matched up on Christian Harris against Alabama in the, in the first half of that game. We saw him do it. Even the ones we didn't hit, the plays were there. And I have confidence he's going to be able to do it again in this game. I think there's going to be opportunities for us to hit some big plays with our tight ends and running backs against the Clemson linebackers and safeties. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Let's go to two game plans. All right, let's start with the game plan for the Georgia defense. So for me, it, it's kind of a twofold here. Number one, we've got to be able to stop the Clemson run game with even numbers, okay? We'll talk a little more about that in a second. Plus, we've got to find ways to pressure DJU. Easier said than done, all right? I think a lot of us can identify those things as, as what we need to do, but how do you go about doing that? What's the game plan? So number one for me here, get Adam freaking Anderson on the field and let the dude do what he does. Get after the passer. Look, I know he's lighting the bridges. I know that he's not great against the run. I understand that. But here's the thing. Against Clemson, they're not that strong up front. They're not that big, that physical up front. They do not have an, an impressively dominant run game. They don't have that. They really have two plays that they run. Like in terms of their run plays, like 80, literally guys, 80% of their run plays are counter or inside zone with a quarterback zone read attached. They'll also throw in a jet sweep there, but all three of those plays, like that's the majority of what they do in the run game. All three of those plays, guys, why do they run those plays? Why do they run counter? Why do they, why do they run inside zone with a zone read attached? Why do they throw in jet sweep? All What do they have in common? Those plays are all designed to make defenses think and hesitate just for a split second, which creates better angles for the smaller, lighter offensive line. That's what those plays are designed to do. So Adam Anderson not being as big as a guy like Nolan Smith or Aziz last year or whoever it might be, an outside linebacker, 
it's not as much of a problem against this Clemson offensive line. This is a game where Anderson's lack of size, I just don't think it's going to work against us as much in the run game as it might in some other games, as it might against like Alabama last year, for instance, with their big offensive line. And on top of that, his quickness, his ability to react might actually work in our favor with how they structure their run game, kind of that misdirection type thing. So that's what we got to get Adam Anderson on the field. I mean, guys, if you ignore snap minimums last year, he was the highest graded edge player on pro football focus last year. Now, he didn't have a ton of snaps. He had four games with 10 or fewer snaps, which to me is unforgivable. I know Aziz was fantastic last year. I know he was. Aziz should be on the field. I'm not saying take Aziz off the field. I'm saying we had to find ways to get Adam Anderson on the field more than we did last year. Four games with 10 or fewer snaps, that's almost unforgivable. That simply cannot happen again this year, especially in this game. We've got to be able to pressure DJ Uyunglele, and we've got to be able to do it without having to bring extra numbers rushing the passer. How do you do that? You get guys that are natural pass rushers on the field. Who's our best natural pass rusher? Who might be the best natural pass rusher in all of college football? Yeah, Adam Anderson, number 19. He's on our team. Let's actually use the guy. Just saying, just saying. Uh, and the second thing here, again, let's bring simulated pressure. I just said we can't really bring heavy numbers. I don't want to see us bringing five or six guys, at least not consistently. You got you can't do the same thing every single play. So you, you got to switch up every now and then, occasionally bring five or six guys, maybe five. I don't really want to see us bringing six. But what we do a really good job of, and I think we really do a good job of it in this game, is bringing simulated pressure, where we bring guys from different angles, from different spots. We show pressure, guys back out, guys that aren't showing pressure end up coming at the snap. You simulate pressure, but you really only still bring four guys. You just switch up what four guys you're bringing. You bring from different places, different angles, and that really confuses the offensive line, allows you to create pressure without actually having to bring additional numbers. It's really not even a blitz. To me, a blitz, I define it as bringing more than four pass rushers. If you bring more than four guys, you're blitzing. We don't really do that as much as it might seem like because we show that we're blitzing, but we really don't actually bring more than four all that often. And the reason I don't want to bring more than four very often in this game is I don't want to leave our guys out there in the secondary on islands against their wide receivers. Kendrick, I feel okay with him out there. And I think Keely Ringo is going to be fantastic eventually. And, and maybe he'll be really good in this game too, but he's really inexperienced. You want to be able to play three over two and four over three. You really want to be able to do that. And you can't do that if you're dedicating five and six guys to rushing the passer. You can't do it. You leave guys out there on islands, one-on-one in man coverage, and that's where you give up big plays. And that's pretty much what our defense is just not designed to do. We don't want to do that. We want to be able to stop the run with even numbers, be able to get after the quarterback without having to bring extra guys and be able to play coverage back there. That's really what we want to do schematically. And I think that's what we need to do in this game, but we need to do a really good job of bringing simulated pressure. Because I, I just, I would rather our resources be in coverage with us not being at full speed back there with no Tyke Smith, having some inexperienced players back there. Now, that doesn't mean we can't find ways to pressure them, guys. Just because we're not bringing five or six guys doesn't mean we can't pressure them. You just got to get creative. You got to get creative. And that's something we had all offseason to do. So we've hopefully gotten prepared for that and we'll have some good looks and some good packages out there. And I also would say like stopping the run on early downs will allow us to get pass rush personnel on the field on third down. So to me, it's all about stopping the run. If we do that and get them the third long, which is where we really want to be, and that's when we can get exotic with our with our different looks in the dying package, we win this football game. All right, so that's the game plan for defense. The second game plan here for the Georgia offense, you guys are probably going to hate me for this. You're probably going to be shaking your head. And that's okay. That's okay. You have the right to do that. But I think we have to be dedicated to the run. I think we have to be dedicated to the run. I know you all want to see our offense evolve. I know you all want to see us put up those video game numbers. But doing that just for the sake of doing it 
is kind of folly, guys, and, and it can be counterproductive. Look, I want to see us do more of that. I want to see us open things up offensively, take advantage of all the innovations and rule changes that we can, come into the 21st century offensively. Of course, I want to see that. But that doesn't. it also doesn't mean that in isolated games, running the football shouldn't be the focus of the game plan. I think there are certain games where that might still need to be a big part of what we do offensively. I mean, heck, guys, I know we want to be like Alabama offensively and put up the kind of numbers they've been putting up. But guys, they ran it 53% of the time last year. They run the football. I mean, I've listened to a couple different uh, coaching clinics with Steve Sarkeesian. Says it point blank. Schematically, what they want to do is they'll run the football if you let them run the football. And we have to be willing to do that as well. This Clemson defense is very, very aggressive on defense. We talked about that. They have run through linebackers that are screaming downhill at the snap. They're going to create some negative plays. We have to know that. We have to be okay with that to a degree. And we have to be patient. Keep plugging away. And the reason we have to be patient there is we cannot become one-dimensional against this Clemson defense. Because I'm not sure our offensive line is equipped in game one to hold up against their pass rushers and their blitz happy philosophy without something to slow those guys down. So what is that something to slow them down? Well, number one, first and foremost, you got to be able to run the football. And we're going to have opportunities to hit big plays in the run game if we're patient, as I laid out earlier. They're really aggressive. That makes them vulnerable to big plays, though, if you can break through that initial line. And staying committed to the run game will allow us to work the RPO game, the play action game, which Clemson, again, is very, very vulnerable to with how aggressive they play defensively and how hard they bite on play action, how hard they bite against the run. And of course, look, we're obviously going to have to take shots down the field to loosen them up. We need to do that because I think we can create mismatches with our skill players against their secondary. There's going to be opportunities to hit some of those explosive plays when they bring the pressure like that. And in terms of what they want to do against us defensively, if they want to play zone against us, cool. That's awesome. RPO the living hell out of them. If they do that, put those zone defenders in run pass conflict and eat them alive all day long. Then they get tired of that and they go to man. Well, that's fine. If they go to man, someone's going to have single coverage out there. And it's going to be up to Munkin to scheme ways to get the right matchups there. And I think this year, maybe for the first time, we have a ton of different options out wide, the skill positions that we can take advantage of. If you want to double Jermaine Burton, okay. I think Marcus Rosemey Jackson can make plays. If you want to double Marcus Rosemey Jackson, okay. I think A.D. Mitchell can make plays. I think Brock Bowers can make plays. I think James Cook can make plays. We have multiple guys that, if left in one-on-one coverage, can make plays. And we haven't always had that. So, I think we're going to have answers for what Clemson does defensively, where they want to zone us, where they want to go man, but we need to have those answers ready. Zone us, RPO the hell out of them, go man, then let's run some let's let's run some of those pick routes. Let's try to scheme up matchups and take advantage of whoever has one-on-one coverage. I think those guys have a chance to win. Whoever it is they leave one-on-one has a chance to win those matchups pretty consistently. So to sum that up offensively. Back to the basics, run the football, work play action, work the RPO game, work the screen game off of that to slow up that very aggressive Clemson pass rush. And then finally, guys, let's wrap it all up here. One key to the game. I have alluded to this throughout the show. You probably know where I'm going here. There's always more than one key to any game, guys. But in this game, there's one thing I think is more important than anything else. It's who can run the football running the football, I believe, will decide this game. Let me kind of just recap this here real quick. So again, 
or actually, I don't even know if I threw this number out there. Clemson allowed 462 yards and 5.5 yards per carry in their two losses last year against Notre Dame in the regular season and Ohio State in the playoff. 54% of those yards came before contact, according to Pro Football Focus, okay? Listen to this number. So they had allowed 462 yards, 5.5 yards per carry in those two losses last year. They only gave up 890 total rushing yards in their 10 other games last year and only 2.5 yards per rush in those 10 other games. So what that means is 34% of all the rushing yards Clemson allowed last year came in their two losses. 34% of all the rushing yards they gave up in 12 games came in their two losses. So if we're able to run the football then the way that Notre Dame was, the way that Ohio State was, we're going to win the football game. And on the flip side, as we said earlier, when we're talking about the stats, they had 78 yards rushing and 1.5 yards per rush in their two losses last year. Their three worst performances last season, including those two losses, they rushed for a combined 244 yards and 3.1 yards per rush. Average over five point yards per rush in the other nine games. So if we can run the football successfully on them and we can stop the run defensively, hold them under 100 yards, we're going to win the football game. Even if we don't have a ton of success running the football against them, which we might not, it's a really good defensive front. They're very aggressive. If we can hold this Clemson offense to under 100 yards and truly make them one-dimensional, get them to third and long, and and keep the screen game in check, then I think we're going to win this football game. I really believe that. That's the key to the game, running the football. Can we run the football effectively enough? It doesn't have to be a dominant run game. We don't have to average seven yards a rush. Can we run it enough? And can we stop them from finding any success on the ground? If the answer to both those is yes, I think we win this game by multiple scores. If the answer is yes to one of them, I still think we win the football game. If the answer is no to both those questions, we lose the game. To me, it's that simple. That's what it comes down to. It's all about running the ball, running the football in this game. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Feels good, man. Feels good to actually dig into an actual football game like this. And we'll see how it all plays out, guys. But that's uh, that's what I got for you. Hope you enjoy this. Hope this prepares you a little bit more for this game. Gives you some things to watch for heading into this absolutely massive Week 1 matchup against the Clemson Tigers. Charlie and I will be back at the end of the week with one more episode with our picks of the week. We'll be giving you our official score predictions for this game, making our official picks for the SEC games, obviously the Georgia-Clemson game. So make sure you look back later in the week for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But all right, guys, thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys. I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs. <laughs>